0: Welcome to Exploring Hydrogen. Here we will learn about all the exciting advancements, opportunities and challenges of this nascent energy sector. We delve into how hydrogen can contribute to the decarbonisation of Australia and the world and investigate what it's going to take for adoption into transportation, industry and society. I'm Andy Marsland, welcome to our energising journey. I'm immensely excited about our episode today. Our guests are two of the engineering team at Destinus, an organization focusing on creating hypersonic air travel, which is five times the speed of sound, not just supersonic. That is traveling across the world sustainably in as little as four to five hours. We'll hopefully get an understanding if this is likely to become a reality. Bart Van Hove is head of advanced studies. He has a background in mechanical and aerospace engineering At the von Kármán Institute, he worked on hypersonic aerodynamic wind tunnels and did his PhD on Mars atmospheric entry capsules. He has been fascinated by astronomy and science from an early age. Philip Silver is a mechanical design engineer for Destinus. He has worked on cutting-edge technologies at CERN Particle Physics and has been involved in numerous hydrogen technology projects, including cryogenics and fuel cells. He's responsible for hydrogen business development at Destinus, including mobility and energy generation. Very warm welcome, guys. Welcome to the Exploring Hydrogen podcast.
1: Good morning. Hi, Andy. Nice to meet you. So we got Philip and you're in Geneva, aren't you? Yeah, Geneva, Switzerland. Whereabouts are you, Bart? I'm in Madrid right now. Ah,
0: fantastic. So getting straight into it then, can you give the listeners a bit of an overview of
2: Destinus as an organization? Of course, uh, Destinus is a young startup company founded only two years ago. We are already working in four countries in Europe, Switzerland, Spain, France and Germany. We are about 140 employees, most of which are engineers. And our philosophy at Destinus is to learn by building, which definitely in Europe makes us one of the bolder and less conventional companies. It means that we count less on paper studies and more on ground testing and on flight experiments. Currently, we're building our first supersonic plane with a hydrogen afterburner.
0: That's fantastic.
2: So you've
0: grown to 140 people within two years. And I read in the press that you've had your, uh, is this your first or second test flight?
2: We've had many more test flights. It's the second prototype aircraft we have flown recently. The supersonic one next year will be number three. So we scale up the test vehicles in size, in power, and in speed every time, trying to reach hypersonic. Fantastic. And so in the most recent test
0: flights, can you give us a bit of a lowdown of how fast you got to and some of the things you learned from that
2: test? The first test flights now are subsonic. So the aircrafts are relatively basic, but they have some special features you don't see in any other plane. So the things we want to learn about, one of them is their shape. They are very aggressively shaped to be hypersonic, even though today they fly subsonically, our first two planes. They also, the last version with the hydrogen afterburner, combined two fuels. So they are hybrid aircraft. They have some jet fuel and they have some hydrogen fuel. And we're learning how to put that together in one plane. That was awesome. And did the test go as you expected? It took some retries for the weather to be ideal, and all of the suppliers and people involved to come together. But once that happened, everything worked. We fired a very simple afterburner on this subsonic plane. And really, what we are doing is getting ready and preparing for the supersonic flight next year, which is a much more powerful plane with a liquid hydrogen afterburner all much bigger and more powerful so that the test flight of this year is preparing us for that bigger leap next year
0: and it's worth perhaps taking a step back for the listeners to explain so subsonic is under the speed of sound supersonic is at the speed of sound and then hypersonic i believe you classify as five times the speed of sound is that
2: correct that is correct so supersonic is everything faster than sound the Concorde jet fighters. And if you go even faster, what happens is the shockwaves become more powerful and the aircraft becomes very hot. So at some point that heat becomes a challenge and that is when people talk about hypersonics typically at Mach 5, for some people Mach 4 to Mach 6.
0: Philip, can you give us an
2: overview of uh, Destinus'
0: goals? In Australia, we've got an expression called BHAG. Have you ever heard of that? It stands for big, hairy, audacious goal. Does Destinas have a, a BHAG?
1: Oh yeah, we want to make commercial hypersonic flight real. We want to go twice as fast as the Concorde. We want to use hydrogen, which is green. So there's a lot of goals in the middle of that. And we want to make the world like a smaller place where we can go anywhere in less than three, four hours. So we can really connect remote locations like Australia, like Peru, make cities that probably weren't really on the map that now have access to anywhere in the world in two, three hours. So that is a real goal that we're trying to achieve.
0: That is incredible. It's life changing, it's world changing, isn't it? And uh, do you see the opportunity being for specific uses or is this
2: gonna revolutionize air transport as a whole? We think it will revolutionize air transport. It's a long range aviation market we are most interested in. So both for cargo and passenger. If you look at hydrogen in aviation today, It's usually focused on fuel cells, which is good for a short, maybe medium range travel. But we are talking about hydrogen flight at Mach 5, which means very long range. You can fly to the other side of the world and come back on the same day. So that means no jet lag and a completely different way in which people will travel and even which economies are connected. That's huge, isn't it? And sustainably, of course, using hydrogen. Everything can be carbon neutral. Uh, At least during flight, we can emit no carbon. The question is how to produce this hydrogen in a green way and how to make it cheap enough for a passenger commercial flight to make sense. And for those sorts of distances, how much fuel are you going to have to keep on board? Well, we're talking several tons of fuel which is not crazy in itself, but the volume of hydrogen is very large because the density is low. You have to store this hydrogen in a liquid form, which means it has to be cryogenic, very cold. That's one of the main challenges with these aircraft.
0: It's incredibly cold to liquefy, isn't it? Only a few degrees above absolute zero.
1: Yeah, it goes to 20 Kelvin, so it's the second coldest thing after helium.
0: But on the flip side, the challenge is that there's also the
2: chemical properties of hydrogen and the cooling aspect. Could you talk to those? So one of the challenges when you fly hypersonic compared to supersonic is the aircraft gets very hot. It's friction and energy from the shock waves that tries to heat up your aircraft. So you have to deal with that heat. You have to evacuate. Hydrogen is the best coolant for similar reasons that it is a very efficient fuel. It is a small atom, has an enormous capacity, absorb energy, thermal energy, way more than oil or any other substance. It also can absorb heat from very low temperatures up to very high, so from close to zero Kelvin up to thousand. These advantages really make high perfect fuel for a hypersonic aircraft.
0: Wow, and perhaps we could talk for a few moments about the refueling and infrastructure required for that. Is Destinus's scope within the refueling as well?
1: We are very heavily involved in the refueling, the ground infrastructure. We call it ground segment. We have recently created a consortium to create a infrastructure in an airport in France. We applied for a Euro Horizon uh, contract, or how do you say this, a grant. And we're trying to develop the whole thing to show that it can be safe, that it can be reliable, that it can be maintained 24 hours a day, and that it can be compatible with pretty much every aircraft that would use hydrogen, not only for liquid propulsion, but also for fuel cells.
2: Everybody will need hydrogen at airports, so it's uh, important to start planning for that fact. We will not be the only company interested in that. And we are trying to help authorities and decision makers in airports think about it. For it, are there
0: any other changes more broadly that will need to happen when, notice I say when rather than if, but when the Destinus jets become commercial? Any changes to the runway infrastructure? Any changes to the radar?
2: Well, no, uh, not really. So the aircraft are designed to operate at airports, otherwise people cannot use them. Everybody will want this. and uh, We have to operate in airspace together with classical planes. That reality means we need to be compatible with the airports. And beyond the fuel infrastructure, we have to use the runways that exist. The plane has to have a certain size and a certain capability to loiter near airports. It interacts with communications and air traffic planners, obviously. So we designed the plane to function in classical commercial airspace. The main difference or investment at airports It'd be in the hydrogen, which is used by other aircraft as well. That's great. And could you talk about some of the safety aspects? So
0: I think some of the hesitancy potentially, and maybe this is just me, but the concepts of flying five times the speed of sound, it might frighten people. <laughs> what can you say to allay some of their concerns?
2: Philip can say more about the hydrogen safety side. I just want to mention that there are two rule books which exist. We have the aviation safety guidelines and certification. Whatever we build, we have to satisfy those requirements. On the other hand, there is a rule book for hydrogen and cryogenics. This also exists, uh, not so much in aviation, but in rocketry, in in laboratories, or rocket launchers. So we have to play by all of these rules, and that really narrows down or sharpens the engineering of solutions. For example, you need a certain amount of redundancy you need to think of every contingency scenario you need to have emergency solutions that buy you time allow you to land storing heat in the hydrogen one of the things we can do that other airplanes can't so we have problems but solutions as well and basically we have to tick all the boxes and that is a lot of work but at the end of it you will have a safe pro- And
1: hydrogen in the mobility sector is really booming. Toyota has made a lot of advances for cars and ground segment. For the aircraft, we're going to be storing hydrogen in liquid form. So the pressure is very low. So there's no real potential stored energy. So it's not like compressed grass that is at 700, 900 bar. So that is also another safety factor in our advantage, so to speak.
2: Yeah, maybe say that slowly, Philip, because it's true. The pressures are extremely different between a gas tank and a a liquid tank.
1: Also, yeah, normal hydrogen storage is at around 200 bars. For mobility applications, for cars, trucks will be at 700 to 900 bars that you can put as maximum hydrogen in the same volume. However, that also has a TNT equivalent. So it has a lot of potential stored energy. With liquid, we're at lower pressures, below 5 bar. So you can just imagine that it's just much safer. If there's anything that happens, the hydrogen will expand, but it will not explode. It will not create a shockwave, for example.
0: Fascinating. And how are you finding, navigating through the legislation in what essentially is a completely new industry when the legislation hasn't been formed for that? Does any areas need to be updated? And how are you going with the discussions with the relevant authorities?
1: So We have two propulsion laboratories that Destin is developing, one in Madrid and one in payern Switzerland. And we have spoken a lot with the local fire brigade, for example. And we are actually trying to derive exercises that they can learn and they can use to test at our actual propulsion lab to understand how to extinguish a hydrogen fire, how to deal with these type of components. Because this doesn't exist. It's not in their daily work. Other than NASA as a DLR, there's not many places that actually use this type of combustible.
2: Yes, so hydrogen is slowly making its way into many industries and the operations and handling of that has been solved in specialized industries and will slowly make its way into the general society, I would say. As for aviation certification or the safety of aircraft, the basic rules will not change for us and they should not. They are fine as they are. They put safety first. Of course, we come with some new technologies. We have to think how new technologies can satisfy those rules. But the rules themselves don't have to change. There are some new aspects like the sonic boom and the noise of engines, which are both important issues for a hyperplane. So we have very powerful engines. And when we fly hypersonically, we also create shockwaves and a sonic boom. Those are areas where legislation may have to be expanded to incorporate our new type of aircraft, but the basic safety certification will not change for us, and that is really up to us to convince and show to regulators that we have solutions for whatever type of aircraft, the final safety has to be demonstrated to same. That's great,
0: and now we're kind of looping around a little bit, but I think it's worth outlining to the Listeners, the different models that you have, and where the design is aiming for in, in the future, because it's a a really cool design, and we'll send some links in the show notes. But uh, yeah, essentially, the next few kind of models progressing from a traditional jet style to having a cooling duct right through the center.
2: Yeah, so the prototype aircraft we call them are a progression of increasing complexity. We have been flying subsonic airplanes with hypersonic shapes but subsonic engines these are jet fuel and incrementally progressively we are introducing hydrogen we are going supersonic later hypersonic one of the challenges with the final plane is to package everything very compactly because aerodynamic drag is a an important design drive so everything has to be really sharp and really slender That is the opposite of what hydrogen would like to be, which is a big balloon. And in the end, there are only so many ways you can put the engines and the structure and the fuel together. Currently, we have the concept with the central duct, which is a very compact package. We may stay with that design, we may update it, but that is what we are working towards today. When are you aiming for the first commercial flight and where is that likely to be? Well, the development of these aircraft will take at least 10 years. So we cannot predict the commercial exploitation depends on a number of things, like which customers are ready to buy, are the regulations and the certifications complete. I would say technologically our goal is to have this product ready in 10 years for commercialization.
0: Are there any broader changes that you'd like to see? Any kind of policy changes over
2: there in Europe or globally? What other sort of challenges are you facing? Any skills shortages or funding? So far, we've been able to hire really talented and motivated engineers. There is no shortage of people that want to work on this amazing project. On the other hand, there is some healthy skepticism. The question of, can we build a hypersonic aircraft now? Why not 20 years ago? Why is it possible today? This is something that keeps us on our toes. We believe we can do it, but we have to show ourselves and we have to show the world. So there's that promise, there's that bag. But there is also the transition to hydrogen. In aviation in general, there is a big discussion about whether to pursue hydrogen exclusively or whether to rely on sustainable fuels, uh, which may be oils, but zero carbon. This is something long-term that requires a strategic vision. Destinus really is focused on hydrogen, so we want to see hydrogen develop on time. We want to see the cost reduced. We want Europe to be a leader in that sector. That's great. Is there any other information that you'd like to share with the audience?
1: Basically, to follow our posts, we publish a lot of information on LinkedIn, a lot of videos, a lot of images. We're trying to keep the public informed. We're not trying to keep any secrets, so join us. and. Even join us professionally, why not?
0: Fantastic message. Um, we'll get those links in the show notes. So, I understand that Destinus is also looking into turbines.
1: So, oh yeah, Destinus, we're trying to align our technological roadmap with as many spin offs as we can to really create what we call the hydrogen valley. So, from green hydrogen production to combustion to energy conversion, energy storage. So we have a OP-16 turbine that is used in the oil and gas industry for many years. We have 130 units deployed in the world. And now we are doing the hydrogen conversion of those combustors. So the combustors have already been designed. And now we're going to do field testing that will kick off at the end of this year. And we'll be ready to go in like six months, maybe. And then we can really convert green hydrogen to green energy, inject it into the storage and everything else that we want to use at work.
2: So because we know that making a hypersonic plane is going to take a lot of time and a lot of money, our focus is on hydrogen first, including mobility, energy production, on the ground. And this way we hope to commercialize, for example, energy producing gas turbines and use this money to keep the company healthy and fund our research in hypersonics.
0: That is fantastic. It's admirable what you and the team at Destinus are doing and we wish you all the best. Is there any final messages or any other information that you want to share with the audience?
2: Well, I do invite especially young people to follow us on LinkedIn, where we are most active, also on Twitter. And if you think you're a fit, if you like working with exciting people on difficult problems, why don't you check us out? We are always hiring. We are always growing. When's the next test flight? So the next test flight, I believe, is planned for the spring of next year. That will be our prototype, Destinus 3, that has to go supersonic with a liquid hydrogen afterburner. And it should succeed to do so sometime next year. This will be the first time in history as well that somebody flies a liquid hydrogen afterburner on an aircraft. It is also a hybrid aircraft with a combination of jet fuel and hydrogen. So that's spring
0: european time so sort of march april time
2: yeah i think so frankly we will start testing around that time and we will start subsonically and we will go step by step not to risk the plane so a test campaign is not completely predictable in itself but we're definitely gonna hit the supersonic goal next year
0: i'm excited for you guys that's amazing so this might be a a a number out of the air type question but uh, i know some of our listeners will will want to
2: know um um, what do you think will be the price of the tickets so the new product uh, removes discomfort it avoids jet lag it allows you to fly anywhere and come back the same day that has value but of course people cannot pay a hundred thousand euros as if it was a space flight every time What it looks like today is very expensive because hydrogen is expensive we believe the cost can be reduced to become close to an expensive long-range uh, flight today. So we believe the cost can be reduced to become close to an expensive ticket today if hydrogen takes off and scales up large enough in the future. Realistically, what can be achieved by Destinus in LX 10 years? Fully hydrogen-powered aircraft that fly Mach 5 should be totally possible in that time frame. The commercialization depends on hard-to-predict factors like certification, possible R&D setbacks. But I'm certain the goal I mentioned is technically achievable in that time frame. That 10
0: years is going to go incredibly quick. And uh, for
2: one, I'm certainly keen to put my name down as a (laughs) guinea pig. (laughs) One way to put it, in the next 10 years, we want to change the question from can we do it to how do we optimize So a 100% hydrogen flight at Mach 5 we strongly believe is possible to build in the next 10 years. So we will show that it can be done. Next is to make it efficient and optimize it and make it economical and make it available for everybody.
0: That's great. Probably a good point to finish on. Perhaps we can do a round two in a couple of years and see how you guys are getting on towards that goal. Fascinating discussion. Thanks so much for your time. Thank
1: you, Andy. Thank you, Andy. See you guys. Cheers.
0: I'm Andy Marsland. Hope you enjoyed the show. Thanks for joining us on the hydrogen journey. We welcome you to join us at our next episode. Please remember to subscribe and review the show and hope to see you next time.